everybody welcome to the hockey show on espn 1000 presented by coors light break away for non-stop chill i'm pat boyle joined as always by brian headley and brian well this is what we're going to get from this season i think from the blackhawks couple steps forward maybe a one to the side couple backwards and uh you know it's it's going to be some uneven performances and uh, there's going to be some bright spots, but uh, it's been, uh, so far, a little bit of a rough start here to start the season. How you doing? Well, I'm doing great. Nonstop chill. That is you. That yeah, really describes right. Pat Boyle. Um, right there on your business card. <laughs> yeah, I, look, we were talking before the show, and you, know, you said, well, it's kind of what you expected. And yes, it's kind of what you expected, but when you sit there and watch it, and there, like you said, there's a few minutes there where they're like, hey, okay, you know, hey, Dealey made some really good stops in the first period. And I guess the only difference between his performance and Subban's performance Wednesday to Friday were uh, Subban's came in the beginning of the game, right? So right. You're, 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 you're digging a hole and you're thinking, okay, the game's all but over anyway. And Delia's issues came within about six minutes in the second period. So. And and look, all since three to two, you're thinking, all right, you got a little little grit going here, and th- this margin of error. I mean, I've been through rebuilds before, and baseball, whatever. It looks like you know who knows what's what's going on with the Bulls right now, and what's going to look like. But this rebuild, it, it, when you're actually sitting down and watching, you gotta. I mean, you really have to kind of find your enjoyment where you can, and it's uh it's tough i mean it's tough for some 10 minute stretches there where you're going boy this looks like more than a, a two or three year issue and look the fact that jeremy colleton got a two-year extension the, i mean the best move the hawks made this week was extending him before they dropped the puck for real wednesday right because if they're zero and six how do you come out and say uh by the way uh this is the coach who's going to keep developing these young guys so they got that business taken care of before we sat down and watched uh, what's going to be a rocky, like you said, a rocky ride, a rough ride for a while. Well, when they said goodbye to Corey Crawford, decided to go with Subban, Delia, and Lankinen, you know, that group collectively had 76 starts. Lankinen has yet to step in the crease in the NHL. We knew there were going to be growing pains uh, in net this year. And, and we've seen that from Subban and Delia so far. Yet Last night, Delia turned in a fantastic first period. Stopped two breakaways. Went uh, post to post, uh, robbing Yanni Gord, and he looked like he. I'm like, all right, this this looks like a guy who's getting his first start since 2019. How about it's that? An opportunity to you know take this crease and and run with it, and then the one problem that we talked about on the pregame show yesterday was how he handles the puck, and sure enough, after that great first period, a couple minutes into the the second. He makes a decision where he thought that Duncan Keith was going to play the puck behind the net. He didn't. At that point, Delia needs to rim that puck hard out of harm's way. Instead, he turned it over. Then he compounds Oops. the problem Oops. and toe picks in the Oops. net. And then Palat scores. And then from there, Brian, everything changed. The complexion for the next six minutes 
was all Tampa and the ice was tilted the other way. It, you know, it always, when I was covering the Blackhawks for a living for seven years, I mean, even Ed Belfour, who loved to handle the puck, right? I mean, there are times he was almost at the blue line. I thought he was just going to, you know, start the rush and go in the other direction. But it's like, hey, just get between the pipes and just do that. But even like last night, okay, you're going to, you're going to give it to your veteran defenseman right behind the net. You better make sure it gets there. And then to face plant on your way back, compound your issues. Um, if you can't handle the puck, and Subban had his issues, and and you know, first of all, he couldn't see the puck a lot of times. So he kicked kicked one in on his own. It's um, I, I I don't know if the goaltender of the future is here. And you know, Corey Crawford. A half hour after we ended our show, the hockey show last week, Corey announced his retirement, and he had taken a personal leave from the Devils PB. And and we were both saying, hey, don't. We said to each other, don't be shocked if he's thinking about calling it quits because it didn't seem like his heart was in anywhere but the Blackhawks, right? Right. How come How come they couldn't find a way? You know, they offer him a one-year deal, uh, $3 million or so. His people, his agent thinks, all right, they'll come back. And we'll, we'll get a couple of years or a little bit more money or both. And that was the offer, right? So two weeks later, Stan Bowman's calling him and saying, eh, we're going with the young guys and we're starting the rebuild and need to take a look at these guys um there seems like there there was a way to do both if 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 the choice or the option for Corey was one year at three million on the on the blackhawks terms and oh by the way Corey, uh the crease is going to go 45 percent of the time to either suban or delia and we would like you to help bring them along in the development prog uh process or option two is you retire. I think Corey would have taken option one, the one-year deal, but it never got to that. They never circled back and had that conversation. Let's go back to Delia last night real quickly before we, we dive into Corey because there's a lot to unpack there. Here's Delia on his up-and-down performance last night. Obviously, I think the end result you know, isn't what I wanted personally, and I don't think uh, it's not what we want as a team, but it's um, something to build on. You know, like you said, first start in a long time. So take it with a grain of salt. I think I did some good things, but I think, you know, there's some things that uh, I definitely need to improve on. I think that was quite evident. But, uh, you know, moving forward, um, be ready next game. And you just wonder if he had played the start of that second period like he had in the first and they didn't have that six-minute span where the Lightning score three times if last night's game would have been a little different. I will say this. I give Delia credit for rebounding because it looked, Brian, it looked like things were going to, they were going to get off the rails in a hurry there yeah. and that this thing was going to be, you know, 6-7 nothing before you blinked. He made some fantastic saves uh, shortly after the three-goal barrage and then the Hawks came back and made it a one-goal game. So, to me, last night's loss, although the final score looks a lot like Wednesday night, it felt, I thought, much different. There was fight. There was a clear turning point in the game that you can say, all right, that, that's, a, that's a mistake of a green, unproven netminder who's got something he needs to certainly work on. But back to your point of Corey Crawford, I couldn't help but thinking if he's in net last night, that's probably a win, yeah. and and there's still development going on the ice in other areas. Yeah, and and look for for fans, it's more palatable to be able to hang your hat on having 
uh, a Stanley Cup winning goaltender, even at the end of his career in, in net to keep you competitive. And, and rebuilds are great, but like anything else, if you don't start having wins to show for it, uh, the individual and the collective confidence really starts to waver, right? I mean, if if you go out there and think, okay, and, and Jeremy Carlton said we played much better and we made some adjustments on the off day and we had a film session and it looked pretty good in the first period, but it you know if you're playing harder and you still don't come up with the occasional win, and I'm not saying you're going to win 40 games this season, you're not. You're not going to be a playoff team. I get it. If you had a sure-handed goaltender 50% of the time in this 56-game season in Corey Crawford, it would cover up a lot of your, you know, uh, of the warts you have as a team, and it also would help the young guys maybe get a little confidence to go along with the the times that they, you know, they have to swallow their mistakes and think about what they didn't do well in the game. So, I don't know if the Hawks just made him a, a token offer, knowing that he wouldn't take it and they weren't going to negotiate. So. They had to make him an offer just to save uh, face for the organization or if uh, if they really – it was a take-it-or-leave-it offer from the get-go. And if he had taken it, he would be here right now. But I don't know if they just figured they had to do something with Crow and they knew in their heart of hearts he wasn't going to take it and they could move on. You know, it, it, this is where I, I, I try to look at the timeline and what was the plan. And, you know, in the bubble in August, the plan was to put Corey in net and try to win a playoff series. And they took care of the Edmonton Oilers, and they did that with, what, 70% Crow coming off of COVID? And mm-hmm. then they they went to the next round against Vegas, and they lose in five games. Corey was, was really good in those five games. And Delia and Subban didn't see the crease at all. And then in October, we hear, all right, you know, we're going to go with the youth movement and free agency, uh, is, is about to start. And they give that offer to Corey Crawford. Then there were rumblings that they were interested in Matt Murray, who ends up in Ottawa and they were kicking the tires on uh, Darcy Kemper. And th- these are veteran goalies that were going to command, you know, a lot, a lot of money. And then the about face, you know what? We did the one year offer to Corey we didn't get back to him and now we're going with the youth movement it just like I I was just like okay is is that really what we want to do with the way that defense performed last year he walked away from eight million two years and eight million in New Jersey right right so it wasn't it wasn't about money I mean his heart really was here in Chicago and I know we made mention of it last year. He bought a, a very nice place that it looked like he was putting his roots down here post-hockey here in Chicago. Oh, there's no and, question. Married a Chicago right. girl. I mean, he's got right. two kids. He did right. not want to leave. This is when you get a player uh, on the quote-unquote, uh, on the hometown cheap, discount. the hometown yeah. discount. It's, sure. it's when they've established their career. They've already made some big coin, and they're willing to take less because of the comfort of staying where they feel comfortable and they want to raise their family. So your thoughts on that? 312-332-3776. What did you like from the Hawks over the last two games? There were some bright spots. I, I liked the lineup changes last night to put a, putting a Pia Suter on the top line with DeBrinket and Kane. I thought that got him going. Philip Kurshev made his NHL debut last night and he was with Strom and Kubalik. Uh, they they believe Kurshev is is a center. They wanted to get him in last night, so he played uh, wing. I thought he was very noticeable as well. I 
I, I thought that those lineup changes were really impressive. And again, this team is down its top three centers in Taves, Doc, and Carl Soderberg, who we'll see in a Blackhawks uniform probably against Detroit uh, next Friday. And, and when you talk, talk about those lineup changes, and they played better uh, in the first period yesterday, so there were some adjustments, and it looked like the team or the team was executing those adjustments that the coaching staff wanted. You know, Jeremy Colleton, I know Steve Greenberg, the Sun-Times wrote a couple weeks ago, does he have it, in parentheses, it, the it factor of a coach? And, you know, he's not Joel Quenville, and it's tough to follow in those footsteps, in those shoes, uh, fill the shoes of a Joel Quenville. But the good news was the Blackhawks didn't use collaborative or any derivative of collaboration. or, But, but they did say, <laughs> you know, Stan did put a statement out saying that the Jeremy's shown an innate ability to develop young talent through his two seasons here. This coupled with his vast knowledge of the game, exceptional communication skills, determination to win, makes us extremely confident Jeremy has what it takes to lead our team back to an elite level. Okay, that's all great. I mean, I, th- I think most coaches have a determination to win. Um, and you would think. I would, you would think. <laughs> I, I, and look, I know all of them don't have exceptional communication skills, and they just they communicate through go sit on the bench or go sit in the press box. You know, that's how, that's, that's how you communicate whether you're doing the job or not. But – the jury, to me, is still out on on the development aspect of it. And as, as far as the X's and O's go, you know, I, I don't know. But the fact is, he's got another two years, so three total here. Does that tell you when the Blackhawks organization thinks the rebuild should be showing signs of of playoff time? Um, well, let's dive into that on the other side. Yeah. Uh, we, we can play armchair general manager and coach. Uh, I will say this. Uh, pretty much every front office is in uh, in safe uh, quarters right now as long as Hallis Hall continues to be run the way it is because uh, after that clown show this week, uh, oh, we can only throw so many stones at the, at the rest of these teams. All right, we'll get your thoughts on where the Blackhawks are at here just a couple games into the season. Things you like, things you didn't like. Give us a call, 312-332-3776. It's Brian Hanley and Pat Boyle. Jamal Mayers joins us a little bit later on on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Now, by your side, through your smart speaker. Just tell it to play ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. The other night they had a really difficult time. Look out. Oh, Delia throws away, then falls down. It's one nothing. Well, a great first period for Kaladia, but his own miscue puts the lightning in front there. Good play by oh, Mitchell. Nice work by speed. Mitchell. That looked like a turnover. He didn't allow it there. Now Gord centered it. A shot and a save by Delia. Rebound. Delia's second save, maybe a third. Where is it? And the puck went it's in, in the goal. Yes, it is. It's three nothing lightning. It's Pat Foley and Eddie Olchek last night on NBC Sports Chicago. Blackhawks fall 5-2, to 0-2 now as they uh, lose to the defending Stanley Cup champions to start the campaign. Certainly not an easy draw schedule-wise. Welcome back to the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000, presented by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill. With Brian Hanley, I am Pat Boyle. You can follow us on Twitter, at ESPN Hockey Show. One of our poll questions we have, how do you feel about the Blackhawks after the first two games? Uh, your choices, you see some young building blocks. You're new to this whole roller coaster thing. 
see only six games left with Tampa or it's going to be a long season. Go again to uh, ESPN Hockey Show on Twitter and vote away on that. Early leader in the clubhouse is going to be a long season. Let's hit the uh, phone lines. John from Evanston joins us. Good morning, John. Welcome to the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. Hey, guys. Um, Yeah, those first two games, you know, they're going to be tough. You know, Tampa Bay, they can skate. Um, They've got plenty of scoring. They got their captain back, and they've got a stand-up goalie in the net that it's hard to get by because he's so big, but he's also athletic. I called basically, if you're not going to sign a veteran goalie, and you got Subban in the mix, and he's got more playing time than the other two have put together, then I would stick with Subban as my leader because he's probably the most athletic of the three. And, you know, give the other two a night here or a night there for now and just see what Subban can do as your starting goalie. I mean, you, you, you can't keep mixing up, you know, bringing in all three of them. I, I think Subban deserves the opportunity. He's been in the league longer. And like Corey, when he started, you know, we stuck with him and he was bad in the beginning. Go with Subban here and just see what he can do for you in the next, you know, five to ten games and make a decision at that point. All right, John, thank you for the call. Look, all three have their their drawbacks. Subban's is his rebound control, and that came to bite him in the first game. He gave up some rebounds. He didn't feel the uh, the, the puck behind him on the second goal. Delia's issues are his puck handling. We saw that was very evident last night in the second period. Uh, the turnover there and the toe pick in the crease led to, uh, you know, three goals in, in less than six minutes. I, I understand what John is saying, Brian. Uh, but I, I, I do think they're going to let this thing play out a little bit. It'll be interesting to see who Jeremy starts tomorrow night in uh, Florida, whether it's going to be Subban, whether he'll go to door number three with Lankinen. Or if he saw enough last night that he wants to give Delia yet another shot. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see how he handles that. And say two, three weeks from now, as, as we sit here on a Saturday morning, how long does the rotation, the you know, the audition go? And what what will be the deciding factor? The basically, you know, no preseason games, kind of like. The Bears with Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky. That's a good well, point. Good analogy get, there. Right. We didn't get to see him, but, you know, so so Mitch gets it kind of by default. And then, you know, who knows? But it can, is that fair to the team? And I guess does fair even count anymore when you're rebuilding? I mean, do, do the normal standards in the NHL go out the window because, you know, guys on the team wondering who's going to start night to night? And if no one grabs this thing and, and takes an appreciable lead and, and is evidently better than the other two, can you go another month or two where you just you know take a name out of the hat each night and say, okay, let's see you again? I, it, it's I, a great I, point, Brian. It, it's, it's walking the line of development and trying to win games, right? Yeah. Because, right. you know, and, and that's really what Stan and Jeremy talked about leading into this season. Uh, you know, you're going to see young players put out in critical moments and they aren't going to fail. The only way to figure out whether they are going to be able to handle this when it really means something in the Stanley Cup playoffs is to see how they handle it 
for the first and the second and the third time. But also that's going to cost you some games and you then worry about, you know, morale for the for the other 21 guys or 20 guys as as they look and say, well, why is he out there taking that face off and in the in the D zone uh, and we're protecting a one goal lead? You know, so that's something that Jeremy's going to wrestle with throughout the year, walking the line of trying to win a game and also developing players, putting young guys uh, in high leverage situations where there's a chance they could fail. And, and look, if, if memory serves, they didn't qualify Subban initially, right? Right. And then end up giving a two-year deal. Was that because they're waiting to see what Corey Crawford did? Um, if they thought they had Crawford here, they're going to have a couple of young guys. They didn't need Subban. And once the the, the divorce with uh, Crow became official, they decided to circle back on Subban and give him two years when they weren't. Yeah, but I mean, they're paying him eight hundred and fifty. I no, mean, I it's, get, I mean, it's I get not it much. comes down to money as well. Right. It's just. It, it, <laughs> I still, I'd still love to know what if they really want to crow back or not. Well, and I think that's why you saw the reaction that you got from Taves. You know, when Taves went to the Athletic and on a Saturday night spoke to Mark Lazarus and said, "Like, hey, whoa, 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 nobody told me what that. Nobody over here, nobody told the captain that we were rebuilding and we were sending our our two time Stanley Cup goaltender to the to the streets." Uh, nobody, nobody ran yeah. that by me. I think that was like I think everybody, to a degree, could have handled the changes that were made. Sod going to Colorado, uh, you know, the the changes they made going with younger players, trying Suter, Kurashev, uh, bringing Ian Mitchell into the fold. All these things I think would have been uh, tolerable to the fan base. It was just. What they saw last year and the importance of good goaltending, everybody realized you take that player out of the mix and you've got three unproven. And that's the other thing here. If one of them had really shown, and again, at times last year, Delia played really well in Rockford. At times last year, Lankanen. It was almost like one had... One half the season where he was outstanding and the, the other had the other half. Now, Lankanen did, did have an injury and did have shoulder surgery. So, uh, you know, he does have um, a bit of a built-in excuse there. But, it, you know, it's not like we had this heir apparent hotshot right. goalie ready to step was in. being held back, yeah. And they're really playing the Corey Crawford card because Corey... You know, he spent five years in the minors before he got his opportunity. And I think Stan felt like, well, we've, Subban and Delia certainly have paid their dues. Maybe the next Corey Crawford we will find in one of them. And that leads us to another of our Twitter polls. After seeing a couple games now, what is your biggest concern with the Hawks? Offense, defense, goaltending, or front office slash uh uh, or coaching slash front office. Of course, Paulie Rat, uh, tweeted right at us. How about eat all the above? I, I saw that. Yeah, yeah I saw that. Was Paulie? Winner only gives um, you four options. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because my fifth option was no concerns. Detroit sucks. But <laughs> that said, um, you know, it, it's uh, right now I the leader in the clubhouse substantially front coaching slash front office. And one of our guys tweeted us about his issues with Colleton trying to force. His system on uh, a European-type system in an NHL-type game or in an NHL game, uh, 
and that it's never going to work no matter how much these young guys develop. So, well, that's th- his thought. Their D zone coverage uh, has been tweaked a bit here over the last uh, year and a half. Uh, I, I thought it was better last night. I, I didn't think the Lightning had as much time and space as they did in game one. I thought it was great to see, you know, Debrinket and, and Kane get on the board. Here's, here's Alex Debrinket. He had a goal and assist last night. Uh, Alex on finishing games being the biggest challenge for this team. Right now, it seems like it is. Um, I mean, last game, we obviously didn't play that well. Um, hemmed in our zone a lot. And then this game, I thought we came out strong. Um, you know, the second period, I think it, it just killed us. We had to try to dig ourselves out of a hole. Um, had a few chances, um, had a few power plays, couldn't convert when we needed to. And, um, you know, that, that, that was the game. It was good to see Alex get going. He's looking for a bounce back year after scoring just, what, 18 goals last yeah, no year. Uh, I thought Kubalik now, he, he's off to a bit of a, a slow start. Didn't have much ice time in uh, in game one. Ian Mitchell looks as advertised, Brian. We'll, we'll get uh, Jamal Mayer's thoughts on the positives he saw in those first two games, the negatives as well. Blackhawks make their way to Joel Quenville's place tomorrow night and Tuesday night. I want to get his favorite Joel Quenville story that he can actually tell on the radio. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll get Jamal Mayers, the Stanley Cup champion from 2013. He'll join the hockey show next. It's Brian Hanley and Pat Boyle on ESPN 1000. You're listening, listening. to the Hockey Show. show. Blackhawks fans, you have a new home to talk hockey. Call us or tweet your comments to at ESPN 1000. The Hockey Show. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000 with Brian Hanley. I'm Pat Boyle coming to you from the First Midwest Bank Studios. You can follow Brian at Brian Hanley 534. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Boyle NBCS. And uh, joining us now, Stanley Cup champion. You see him uh, on NBC Sports Chicago's pre and post game show. He's the one and only Jammer. Jamal Mayers joins us on the Hockey Show. How are you doing this morning, Jammer? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're doing okay. You know, we're trying to assess this team uh, against uh, certainly a tough foe in Tampa. Uh, give me the the positives that you saw. Let's say let's go last night because I thought there was more positives to take away from last night's effort. W- what were some of them for you? Well, number one, I thought Colin Delia overall had a strong outing. I think that um, you know. One of the things you really didn't talk about on air, and perhaps we should have, was the fact that perhaps these uh, three goalies, all of them are feeling a certain amount of pressure. Um, because, you know, you, you, leaving behind uh, Corey Crawford left a, a really unbelievable legacy and mark on this team and was a solid goalie for a dozen years. And, and, and so having to fill his shoes, you know, probably mentally put a lot of pressure on them throughout once that decision was made. And so I thought Colin Delia played extremely well. Uh, obviously he had a uh, little bit of a mishap and, and miscommunication and has to improve on his p- playing the puck. But, uh, you know, I thought up until that point, even beyond that point, he responded well. And then the other bright spot, uh, I thought the penalty kill struggled in, the, in game one. 
and was much better in game two. And that's a really, really good power play that they were able to hold off the board uh, in game two. And Jamal, when uh, you look at some of the younger guys, there, you know, PV was talking about some of the guys that uh, are starting to show stuff already, Suter and Mitchell and, you know, things to, to be excited about. And then you get to Adam Volkvist and, you know, over the first two games, not very good for him. And I wonder what you see when, well, you don't see him a lot on the ice. I mean, his, his 13 shifts and his six and a half minutes of uh, ice time, well, well, well below the other defensemen on this team. So um, what do you think's going on with him? I think we just have to be patient with him. I think that uh, he's a guy who has an unbelievable upside to his game. But what he's balancing right now, I believe, in his mind probably is, you know, how do I improve my defensive game and follow my instincts offensively? And so he's going to have to figure that out, and that that's the process that he'll go through with the coaches. That's a process of of playing. It's a process of uh, playing on his toes and allowing him to make those mistakes because you don't want to take away those offensive instincts that are are very tough to find and impossible to teach. But you want to, you know, whether it's watching video and going through drills and 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 un- getting him to understand and him also being a student of the game as well and watching other games and picking up tips and tricks from players that play like him around the league. Uh, Part of uh, becoming the best at your craft is becoming curious. And part of that curiosity to me is seeking out information uh, about how he can become better. Uh, And part of that to me has to do with studying the game and understanding what he's doing well and what he needs to improve on and and uh, picking two or three players, as I said, and watch them uh, throughout the season and try to impart some of that into his game. Jamal Mayers joins us on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. You make a great point about the, the, the competition and how that pressure could be mounting. Like every time Subban and Delia get in the crease – they feel it, it, it could be possibly a one-off, you know? So have you, throughout your career, do you do you recall a time where you had two unproven, and actually in this case, three unproven goalies that were kind of trying to become a starter? And, and how did that play out with the rest of the team? Because we saw last night how that, that first goal on that miscue and that miscommunication between Delia and uh, Keith how it just kind of deflated that that team for a stretch of about six minutes. Yeah, honestly, the players just want to win. So I don't care. We don't care what goalie's in there. Just figure it out and stop the puck. Yeah. Uh, that's just that's the players' mentality, right? Yeah. Um, for you know, now that you you take a step back and you're not playing, uh, for me, I think that a good way to approach it would have been to tell them, "Hey, listen, we're going to take the first twenty games." I don't know how it's going to work out, but you're each going to get 10. If one's playing well, you're going to keep the net. I might switch it, but you're each going to get 10 in the next 20 games. you got 10 games to prove who's going, to, who's going to take the ball. And then from that point on, it's going to be placed on merit only. If you play well, you win, you're staying in the net. That way, you kind of give them a cushion of, uh, you know what, I'm not going to be yanked after one effort. I'm not going to be yanked after two then now you, they can settle down into what they're going to be 
versus allowing it to happen organically without that conversation, it may take six to eight games. And in my opinion, you don't really have that time uh, with such a shortened season. You want to, you want them to feel comfortable right away. You want them to compete in this. And that's already there. That's already in them. To me, let players feel comfortable. And at the end of the day, this is your team. You're going to grow and you're going to fail together. But how can you allow them to accelerate that development process? And to me, part of that is making them feel comfortable and no better way than to say to them, listen, you're each going to get 10 games here in the first 20. Go out, play your game. You're here for a reason. We believe in you. And, and whoever wins the job wins the job. And, and when you talk about wanting to win, uh, I know a couple of the players mentioned before the, the game, even Wednesday, that they were aware that nationally people were picking the Hawks 26, 27, 30th in the league, and no one had any kind of high hopes for this team to, to surprise. Is that more difficult for the veterans like uh, Keith and Kane, and or is it just as difficult for young guys who are trying to you know secure a, a spot on this roster for good and trying to improve their game to the point where they are part of the foundation? Um, I guess my question is, how does Jeremy Carlton and his staff keep the team mentally up and everything else if the wins are not coming even on the occasional basis? Well, first of all, it's incumbent upon the veterans to set the example and be professionals, right? And then beyond that, they set the tone and the example for the room and how the, the guys are going to eat, how they're going to show up on practice, how they're going to work out, how they're going to perform, and how they're going to respond from failure. And so they have to set that example. And then there's two different two different buckets you mentioned, and each has different motivation. And for the veterans, it's a new challenge. And these guys have been through a lot. And it's another challenge that they're going to have to face, and it's another test of their character, what kind of people are they going to be when everyone said, everything's said and done and that legacy is written. How did they respond when it was tough? How did they respond when, it, when the team was struggling? And what was that, what's that legacy going to be? And I have all the confidence in the world of the people that those guys are, that they're going to do the right thing in setting an example and being a professional and not not that they're going to enjoy that process because it's not fun. Sometimes it's not going to be fun. But part of showing an example is showing up to the rink, dusting off your, yourself and getting back at it and doing it again because you have 21, 22, 23-year-old players staring at you, looking at you and watching how you're going to respond, and they're going to follow your lead. Hawks are off today in Florida. They'll take on the Florida Panthers, Joel Quenville's team, tomorrow night. You can see that game on NBC Sports Chicago. Jammer and I will have the pregame at 5.30. I don't think there's any football games or anything going on tomorrow, is there? No. Um, <laughs> uh, but Jammer, I, I, do, you, do you have a good Joel Quenville story for us that, that we can actually air? Oh, geez. I just remember he had the same speech every game, right? So, I mean, I had him for five or six years at the when I was 21 to 26. And then I played on – he left. I went to different places, blah, blah, blah. So I get back to him at 36. All I know is I was in practice, and 10 minutes into practice, I pulled Johnny over, and I said, Johnny, these are the same drills I did 12 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> uh, another funny one would be uh, – Every time he'd come into the room, he'd have his little speech. And I remember when I sat beside Crow, and I would, under my breath, always just make like just make fun of his, his combination of suit and tie or his shirt and tie. 
And uh, I said, oh, my, he must have dressed in the dark. And Crow's doing everything he can do not to laugh because he, he's 10 feet away from us. Did, did and you... then uh, he started he start his speech, and I'd say to Crow, that's it. I'm not no longer wearing a gingham shirt. And he said, why? He said, Joel just starts wearing the gingham shirts. That's my indication I'm not wearing it's those. Out of style, it's yeah. out of style. Did you know he was uh, in, in love so much with horse racing? Like, back in 2013, there were times during the playoffs where he had a horse in a huge race while you guys were playing. Uh, were you guys aware of that? Would he come in the room after after some some big wins? No, no, he never did that. But no, uh, I'm not surprised. He's uh, there's he always used to say after big wins, you know, no one loves winning more than me. So I'm, uh, you know, it, it, he's a guy that. Uh, he loved playing for because he he, he showed his emotion and he, and you he, he he went to bat for you and he, he would get mad at the refs at the but it was all strategic it was all planned and he'd say how'd that sound you ever because he was trying to get the next call you know so um, and, and he loved it and and I learned so much from him and and uh, I have a lot to be grateful and thankful that he brought me back but. No, he, he, he was a competitor. He was he was honest. He was, you know, at the end of my career, I wasn't playing much. He, he never he never uh, sugarcoated it, and he just told you how, how it was, and I think as a player, you appreciated that. Jammer, thanks for doing this. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow afternoon uh, on the pregame show, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day, bud. All right, you too. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me thanks. on. That's Jamal Mayers, 2013 Stanley Cup champion, 15-year NHL veteran. Coming up, your phone calls. Nathan in Yorkville will take care of you. And uh, your comments as well. 312-332-3776. It's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. You're listening to the Hockey Show. With Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. to bring it through it back in front. Here's the back edge, and they score! Patrick Kane, a takeaway by Dabrinkit, a setup for Kane, and bang! Hawks with two in a row, and they're back within one. Oh, that was a beauty last night. Patty Kane going backhand shelf over Vasilevsky. Drew the Hawks within one. And they had a couple power plays after that to, to get the equalizer. Didn't come through, and uh, Tampa Bay ends up winning 5-2. to two. Good news is... They're not playing Tampa Bay tomorrow night. Welcome back to the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000 with Brian Hanley. I am Pat Boyle. I was talking to our producer, Tyler Aki, before the show, Brian, and I asked him, where do you think Corey Crawford ranks as far as underappreciated Chicago sports athletes? Tyler, you gave me a, a list of a couple of guys that you thought could have been considered underappreciated. Run down that list for me. So I kind of went with a lot more of the the new school sort of guys. So football, I said Lance Briggs. I feel like he never got his due because he was always playing alongside 54. Of course. You got Kyle Hendricks from the Cubs. He wasn't Lester. He wasn't Arietta, But he was that rock-solid force. And again, he's the one who went out there and took the ball in Game Mm 7. For the White Sox, I mean, really up until he won MVP, I would have said Jose Abreu. I think he is the unheralded superstar of that team. But once you win the MVP, but once you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. all that all you that's out the window. Yeah. And then with the Bulls, I said Luol Deng. I, I like feel that like one. Uh, Luol yeah. Deng never really got his One deal. of my favorite players, Luol Absolutely. Deng. Yep. What about you, Brian? Where, where does Corey stand as far as underappreciated Chicago sports athletes? Uh, he's definitely right up there for guys who actually won championships. And uh, I covered Luol Deng, and he, you're not – 
as good a player he was, he was a terrific, even a better person. He so, was. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I think Kyle Hendricks is a really good one that Tyler brings up. Tyler, being younger, goes newer school. Right. Um, I don't know. You have to look at Lance Briggs. That that's interesting, and I get it. You know, he he always felt like he was not only not respected nationally, he felt well. I mean, he wanted to get traded, right? Because he wasn't getting paid because Erlacher was getting all yeah, the money. Said, I remember uh, he said he was never going to play for the Bears again. Yeah, that was one of his. Uh when he was with Drew Rosenhaus. But, uh, yeah, um, I, you know, Mark Burley? Uh, uh, it, I mean, God, White Sox we, fans we, hold him in, in high regard. I mean, we appreciate yeah, they him. they think he's, he's Hall of Fame level right. stuff there. But, yeah. I mean, nationally, uh, I, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, then I'd talking... put Canerco in that. If we're going to yeah. go nationally, I don't think a lot of players on that team, uh, you know, Jermaine Dye doesn't get much love for, for what he brought to the table. But, yeah, no, that's... That 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 Mark Burley would be somebody nationally that that probably didn't get the uh, the due that that he deserved. Let's go to the phone. I mean, li- not a flashy guy, too. I That's mean, true. Just a very understated guy. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Nathan in Yorkville, you're up next on the hockey show. Good morning, Nathan. Hey guys. Uh, obviously, the Hawks had a rough start to the season, but it was against the defending champs. With the Panthers coming up next, not having played any games yet due to the Dallas cancellations. What are the odds that the Hawks can pick up a few wins and get back on track? Especially since I think I said that Bobrovsky is going to be out at least one of the two games, if not both. Seems like a good opportunity for the Hawks to pick up at least maybe two or three points. No question, Nathan. With no preseason games for anybody, and the fact, as Nathan points out, that Florida's first two games were postponed because of COVID reasons, this is a huge advantage that the Blackhawks have two games under their belt. And he mentions Bobrovsky he's in desperate need of a rebound season. They're paying him $10 million a year. He played nothing close to that. Um, I think it's a good opportunity to to take two or, at worst-case scenario, split, Brian. Well, to use a Joel Quinville uh, horse racing analogy, um, not only do they need a race, uh, the Panthers, the Blackhawks, it's like going from Stakes Company down to maybe the claiming ranks, right? So okay. you You've been skating with the Stanley Cup champions for a couple games uh, in a, for a couple days, so now you're you you feel if you take the ice, it's you're going against much easier competition, so your margin of error is certainly much larger too. So uh, we had a poll question out there: What is your uh, your biggest concern uh, right now after two games for the Blackhawks? And uh, right now, the overwhelming majority is. Uh, is goaltending. I guess that doesn't doesn't surprise us as we spent probably half the show discussing goaltending. W- would you say that that's your biggest area of concern right now if you had to narrow it down and you couldn't pick uh, all of the above? Yes, I, I went with goaltending as well. And I, I, interesting that Jammer said if he was Colleton, he would have given them a number certain to say, okay, you're each going to get 10. And he meant just Subban and Delia. Didn't even really throw uh, Lincoln into the mix. And will be interesting to see if Lincoln is in the mix tomorrow when they play, or, or anytime soon. But let them know it's not a one-off, as you said, Pat. That right. It's not one period, one good period, one bad period, one good game, one bad game. That it is a fifty-six game schedule, so, so I would think ten games would be more than enough and would take the pressure off. I, you know, being a good communicator, Stan Bowman said that's what Jeremy is. 
it'd be interesting to see how he approached either or both of those guys and let him know what his plan was or if he did at all. Yeah, so, I, that's something I we can certainly ask him on, on a Zoom session and find out. A couple of little notes here before we exit stage left for you and Freddie. Uh, Brent Seabrook update. It was a back injury that he tweaked right before the start of training camp. He is supposed to get back on the ice in the next few days, and then he needs to get up to uh, game shape. So you're looking at, uh, I would say, at least week to two weeks before Seabrook would be available. Carl Soderberg, he had those visa issues. He is here in Chicago uh, going through quarantine. He'll be available to play and practice with the Blackhawks when they return from Florida. So there's a good chance Soderberg is in the mix for those two games against the hated Detroit Red Wings next week at the you know, United Bill Center. Wirtz, Bill Wirtz, let's just leave it this. There used to be guys in the federal building that had uh, season tickets for the Blackhawks because they didn't have any visa issues. They made sure they got those taken care of. <laughs> So the team team was good at taking care of those little things. You have any good Detroit stories from your years covering the Hawks and Red Wings? Oh boy, yeah, none of and which it, I can it, say. None, none, yeah. none that you can share. All right, yeah. Well, the Joe was always a great place because you, the the press box was really like a a built in bar with bar stools, and people <laughs> could just reach over and grab whatever's in you know in front of you, your computer, your pens, or whatever. And you went and got a coke or something. You came back. And there could be a guy sitting there thinking that it was just like a, a concession place. So I, it was I, think, always nice. I think Hawks fans are happy that they're watching some games at home right now and they're close to a bar, judging by uh, the first two games. I might even have to dabble a little bit here after all Benny's does uh, does sponsor our intermissions. Make so. it, yeah, and make it a Coors Light, too. <laughs> make it a Coors Light. The Hockey Show on ESPN 1000 is presented by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill. What do you have up next with Freddie? A lot of uh, divisional round football talk? Oh, well, we got that, and I believe the uh, Bulls uh, let one slip away oh, my OKC goodness. last night, and uh, we can pick apart that because Zach Levine certainly did. And uh, interesting, Cubs got some uh, people, got some paper done with Chris Bryant and Javi and Ian Happ, not so much. And, uh, who, you know, the South Side, uh, the Sox's very own flagship station, we're going to be talking about Liam and the signing, what that does for that great bullpen. So a lot going on, and uh, Fred and I will have a couple hours to talk about it. Yeah, 11 to 1 o'clock, Fred Hubner and Brian Hanley. Great job, as always, Brian. We'll see you next week uh, on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. Our thanks to Tyler Aki, and thank you for listening and calling in. 312-332-3776. Up next, it's Freddie and Brian on ESPN 1000.